Welcome to the Contact Center Gurus, the podcast for contact center and customer experience leaders. Learn best practices, new technologies, tips and tricks, and more. Today's episode is sponsored by Support Logic. Support Logic is the world's first support experience platform for customer support leaders, helping you move from providing reactive to proactive support. Reduce customer escalations by 40%, reduce customer churn by 25%, improve proactive outreach by 60% and more. Extract the voice of the customer in real time without surveys. Elevate your customer support and transform your customer experience with groundbreaking applications for next-generation customer service and support. Change the game with applications that leverage innovative AI and NLP technology, intelligent workflows, and intuitive UI for the SX platform. Sign up now for a free sandbox environment at www.supportlogic.io. This podcast is sponsored by Balto. Do your reps forget the right things to say on calls? Do they frequently put customers on hold because they don't know the answer? Or maybe they forget to ask discovery questions that help qualify customers. With Balto, you can guide each rep through their conversations at the push of a button. Balto rides along your rep's screens, listens to both sides of the conversation, and shows them the best things to say live on the call. After just 14 weeks of using Balto, National General Insurance saw 16% higher conversions and 53-second lower handle times. Head over to balto.ai backslash guru to get a free pair of Bose headphones for a demo. That's B-A-L-T-O dot A-I backslash G-U-R-U. This podcast is also sponsored by OzoneTel. Is a contact center part of your customer service strategy? OzoneTel's AI-assisted platform will help you deliver the best experience possible. It's an affordable contact center solution with advanced features, deep native integrations, and outstanding service. There are no contracts or annual commitments, and you can get a basic contact center deployed within hours. Experience it yourself with a free trial at www.ozonetel.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Tech Gurus. Cloud Tech Gurus are the hottest technology matchmakers for contact center leaders in the country. Sourcing technologies and solution providers is grueling, time-consuming, and complicated. They make the process simpler and more efficient. The gurus map out your requirements, source solutions providers, help you choose the one that is the right fit, and help manage the implementation, all at no cost. They work with nearly every major vendor, more than 150 solutions providers, and are vendor agnostic. They help save you time, money, and headaches. Visit www.cloudtechgurus.com to learn more. Now, let's listen in. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Contact Center Gurus. I'm your co-host, Jessica Voss. And I'm your co-host, Rob Enslow. All right. Yeah. And today we have special guests, Owen McGrath and Vince Lynch from Ivy.ai. So Owen, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks for having me. So yeah, Owen McGrath, uh, I'm the head of sales for the U.S. at Ivy.ai. 
Um, a bit about my background, I've spent about 12 years in technology uh, doing sales and business development, a little bit of time doing product as well. My career started actually in the ad tech uh, and digital advertising spaces, uh, yeah. but recently, uh, in the last uh, four or five years, pivoted over to um, uh, first to the telephony telco space, uh, working for um, SignalWire, uh, and then was there that I started working with different contact center providers and uh, in, got my exposure into the contact center space, uh, and then found IV.ai uh, through a partnership and then joined Vince uh, earlier this year. Um, and I'm just really excited to be in the AI space now. Awesome. And now Vince, tell us about yourself. So I know we're going to be talking about intro to artificial intelligence in the contact center, but we would love to, you know, learn a little bit about you first. Sure. There's so much to know. Yes. No, it's not, it's kind you of were a, born this high. <laughs> I was only a tiny little egg. Um, yeah. the, uh, I, uh, Vince, I'm the CEO of Ivy.ai. Um, i um, been in the space for about eight or nine years. Used to be really hard and getting people to think about AI and the value that could be created through automation was, was kind of like talking gibberish to people. They would just look at you blankly yeah. and be like, what? What planet are you coming from? <laughs> um, and then fortunately that all kind of flipped about five years ago um, and, uh, and launched IV.ai at that point um, with my co-founder, John Martin. And we basically, um, we just got together all the smartest people that we knew in the space and we built, which, which, which is essentially an NLP platform. It's very kind of foundation. So NLP stands for natural language processing. And it's this kind of whole space of AI that's around making sense of language information. Um, and it's kind of, people talk about NLU, natural language understanding, NLP. In, in my mind, it's kind of all the same thing. Natural language. Lots of acronyms, machine yeah. learning, AI, I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like the whole, the whole of the kind of AI space that we focus on is this kind of making sense of language part. Um, so that's kind of uh, been always the thing that really appealed to me. Before I got into AI, I was a creative director and I managed writers and teams of writers and producers. And, um, and one of the things that was really, um, uh, really tricky was trying to, to make sense of, of an idea. Like, how do you make sense of this information that you're trying to communicate out to someone? Um, and then also, how do you make sense of how they're responding to that information that you're communicating with them? And they really used to bug me because we'd have these large teams building inside of these big media companies. And we would be, you know, the, driving a lot of the value that was created by the, by the media company. And, um, and, and in rea reality, kind of didn't get enough of the love kind of in my opinion it was because you couldn't really distill the value that was being created and and then when i when i um when i first ran into ai in 2009 um in the production environment um i uh, i was blown away by how how that was completely changed and um how you could now take an idea take uh, concepts take words and um and look at them through a lens of, of science so that you can actually um, get to the root of the value that is in the words or in the language. Um, and uh, and again, like I was saying, kind of at first it was really hard to communicate the value of that, but then now it's become a lot easier and we, um, we get to work with some of the largest companies in the world from you know, Disney to Walmart to Samsung to Toyota, um, globally with a, a lot of businesses. 
um, working with teams that have kind of really small internal um, uh, internal uh, tech teams um, where they have kind of maybe a, one technical person internally or, or very few um, all the way up to um, like uh, Netflix and Facebook where they have you know large internal AI teams and need an NLP specialist for, for problems they're working on uh, that are very specific to making sense of, of language. Um, and that's kind of never been more uh, realized than what we've seen in the contact center world, because you just have all of this data um, about, with language data. So whether it's someone calling in on the phone, calling into an IVR, speaking to an agent, what the agent's saying back to the, to the customer, um, what's coming in on email, going back to the customer by email, social media, chat, Whatever, whatever channel it is happening on, wherever this kind of conversation is happening, is this amazing data source for, for businesses. And the smart businesses um, are, are, are realizing that and are running with the, with the baton to basically try to, uh, is it a baton or a baton? <laughs> I call it like a baton. <laughs> It's a baton? Okay, because I imagine yeah, like, like a relay race, right? Yeah, but then yeah. I can imagine like people throwing the baton and like twirling yeah. and stuff. I don't um, oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> so I have a ton of questions. Okay. Because so I've been in the contact center world 20 plus years, and I am seeing a lot of hype around AI. And like we talked about earlier, has kind of a lot of nicknames, NLP, machine learning, and so on and so on, automation. <laughs> so I kind of see AI right now is where cloud infrastructure or SaaS platforms were maybe six to eight years ago, where customers were kind of learning about cloud, getting, you know, dipping their toes in the water to see where it could work, how it could work, if it's secure because I started selling cloud before it was cool and before it was called cloud. <laughs> and I, I remember a lot of customers were just, you know, still adamant about keeping their servers on-prem and making sure it's the, the most secure. But now, and it could be COVID was a big driver, a big push into the, into the lake, <laughs> was, you know, getting everything up in the cloud now and private cloud and, infrastructure that said so i'm seeing a lot of that i don't know are you seeing that too rob or owen where ai is right now yeah it's funny you mention it because i think one of the things we've hit this this sort of inflection point where every company and i think this was very much true probably six or eight years ago cloud is just a standard now but everybody needed to say like we have a cloud offering like every yeah. every ccas provider is saying yes we have ai Yes, you know, and every email automation platform, any sort of technology company has some sort of AI offering because they feel like they need it. But people are now just really grasping their hands around, like, what exactly is an AI strategy when the rubber meets the road of, like, where are they going to apply AI um, into their contact center? So, for example, you know, Vince talked a lot about understanding ideas and, and so a lot of the AI that we do is is on the analytics space which is just helping people understand what exactly is being talked about in the contact center using things like anomaly detection to understand like to surface hey something's blowing up there's an issue with a the product there was an issue with a rollout or something's happening in the world you know a natural disaster that's causing this and being able to see those events as they happen um, 
and then of course all of the automation that we we know kind of to be a lot about AI about you know whether that be a, a smart IVR or something like that that that's getting much more effective and not just annoying people that are you know people are also getting more comfortable talking to a, a smart IVR because that it's actually an intelligent thing and they're not just yelling at some bot that doesn't understand them so I think it's a good analogy because at the same time there's a lot of people that have really dug in and they say no we're not ready for AI we don't need it people. You see decision makers all the time. They say, I don't like talking to a robot. Therefore, no AI in my contact center. You know, and people have those sort of emotional attachments to that. But maybe that's not quite the, the um, you know, the, the, the reality of their whole customer base. But that's how certain people feel. And people will have those same ideas, you know, to make that analogy with saying, oh, you know, the cloud is not secure or something like that, which maybe is uh, maybe not quite founded. But people have those emotional reactions there. Definitely. And I think I don't know that it's as valuable as... Uh, you know, as people realize, because it's almost like the internet, right? And information. Information is valuable, assembled and executed in the right way. So that ex that elegant execution of AI and the demonstration of that is is what really is, and the results that that follow, I think, are 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 what's uh, paramount. And I think it's uh, so it's it's every we're getting so many I think call centers are getting so many messages from AI providers these days. You know, they, they don't know which one to to look at and which one to believe and, and which one might work for them. It's 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 kind of like the Internet and all the information there. Yeah, yeah, I have a quick question on that, since we're in an intro to AI class. <laughs> so. Like Rob mentioned, AI is everywhere. And I kind of feel like customers are a little bit overwhelmed. Where, what would you recommend to a client that has not adopted AI in any aspect of their environment on where to start? There's always a baby step number one. Can you kind of walk us through that or what would you guys suggest to a client? Sure, yeah, I can take that one. Um, the um... It's important to walk backwards from the contact center strategy generally. So if the contact center's core goal is cost savings, then you want to think, okay, well, how do we, how do we introduce as much automation as possible to try and reduce cost? And if it's cost savings plus NPS CSAT score together, then it's like, okay, how do we increase automation and how do we make sure we're retaining that, that NPS score or, or growing it? Um, and then if it's just strictly NPS, and it's a different way of thinking about it entirely where you're just thinking about kind of quality and kind of how are the agents currently performing and how can we make them perform better and how can we uh, give tool sets to the contact center managers to be able to really make sense of what's wrong with their with their contact center as it relates to their to their uh, customer success metrics so it's kind of that's the very the very starting place so that you can um, you can marry the the need of the business with the, the value that AI can bring. I think um, often people think of AI as a, as a big investment, a cost investment, um, and in reality it shouldn't be because it's sitting alongside a, uh, a, a really high cost structure that can usually fund a lot of what an AI can do um, because you're, you're currently outsourcing a lot of it to BPO or wherever it's kind of going and you have a high, high attrition. So instead of just kind of hiring people up just to lose them again three, six months later, how can you be using AI to be thinking about it differently? And also how do you, how do you, um, how do you starting with your, your core need and then moving that towards 
how do we approach that in this new world where AI can, can, can be a partner for us? I think that's the most important piece. And then it's really kind of kicking the tires in relation to the company that you're working with once you kind of are out and looking for a vendor. Um, how long have they been in the AI space? You know, this, this is it's not an easy thing. It's not like software building an app or kind of building a website where you just kind of learn to code and you can build it and there's nuances to it, but it's kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a, a time investment to, to learn how to do something versus AI where you have to be training an AI, you have to put it in the live environment, you have to see how it performs, you have to be able to measure how it performs, you have to be able to watch out for things that can be doing that are not are not what you want them to be doing. You have to have systems in place to make sure that that doesn't happen because obviously you have a thing, if it's automation, it's acting on your behalf. And even if it's analytics, it's something that's really important because the AI <clears throat> is giving you data that you're using as a foundational piece to make business decisions on top of. So if it's kind of helping you understand what's going on with a certain section uh, sector of your business and, and FAQs related to the customers for that sector of your business, and you are uh, you're you're trying to figure out how to better convert your NPS score for this certain you know challenge type of challenge that your customer has, um, if the AI is isn't produced properly and it's not trained to know what what it needs to know to be able to give you that insight, you are then working with amplified bias. The, the the problem that the AI is 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 servicing is seen as like this real truth. And then if you're building on top of that without a validation step, you end up building on something that's broken to begin with. So it creates even worse, like a bigger problem than you would have otherwise. So it's a um, it's an important it's an important thing to get right, starting with the foundation of of what you need from a business perspective, and then really figuring out how how do we ensure that the AI that we're that we're deploying is going to be able to um, connect. Uh, with what we need and be validated as we go through it and has has in the AI space what's called a confusion matrix, which is basically, is the AI confused? What is it confused by? And how can we understand how confused it is or, or, or how smart it is in relation to the problem it's solving? And these are kind of fundamental things when it comes to machine learning and AI, but there are things that often companies that where they're kind of reselling another kind of AI solution under their kind of brand or they won't be able to do because they don't have access to the actual AI themselves. So it's kind of a really, um, a really uh, important step. Um, and I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, that. that was very thorough. <laughs> thorough. Love yes. it. I love thorough. Yeah, just so to, to maybe just distill one point that, that Vincent Please. said is, just distill. you know, I think, you know, make sure that, you know, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to dip your toe into AI, make sure you're engaging with a partner that's really taking the time to understand how your business operates and understand your customer journey. You know, there's, and I think what Vince was getting at is that, you know, AI isn't, at least today, isn't in this really off the shelf type of product where you plug it in the way you'd plug in a CRM or the way you'd plug in a cloud compute solution. Um, and it takes some, some custom understand, some, some tailored understanding of, of what the customer service problem is that we're solving um, and, and also some customization of the, of the AI models themselves. Um, and that that's really a good place to start is make sure that people are not just saying, hey, we're just gonna implement this thing like it's just off the shelf, but that they're really gonna roll up their sleeves and, and, and understand and work with you as a, as a partner. I love that. Now, when you look at AI in the contact center, what gets you guys the most excited? So, but I, before you answer that, I like to give my own testimonial. <laughs> 
So I hate data entry. <laughs> I hate going here, typing things in and moving to different tools when I just want to be talking to people or relationship building with people, customers, you know, suppliers, anyone. And I look at data entry like I look at laundry at home. It's so boring, it's constant, and I hate it. <laughs> so I love, you know, automation tools that, you know, kind of make my work life easier and, and help me with, you know, data entry or, you know, putting information into different systems and make them talk to each other. Um, so that's what gets me excited about AI, but I would love to hear your guys' perspective. And that's my own personal one, <laughs> your perspective in the contact center, though. I think that's a big, I mean, I think that's a big part of it in the contact center. The the um, that data collection, the data um, copying from one place to another, um, the the complexities that are added with that when you have multiple people, multiple agents entering data into a CRM tool, into contact center software, um, and and everybody thinks about it differently in 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 um, in creates the uh the customer record differently that is a you know not only is it is it annoying for everyone who's doing the work and it's very kind of robotic um it's also um it's also highly highly likely to have a bunch of of the human bias that's associated with the way they think about the problem that they're looking at versus kind of a centralized way of of looking at that problem so the um the uh that's a that's a massive piece is like how do you how do you extract all the information from what the agents are engaging with the customer the customer is saying with what's coming in through the email coming through chat as it relates to the number of times the customer comes in specifically what the customer is saying not just like how we think about that based on our knowledge base but based on what the customer is actually saying because yeah. in reality there's so many nuances to it and so many. <laughs> customer confusion and like that that thing that would be helpful for a person to have from like the data entry perspective is is imperative in a contact center with with the kind of the kind of cost associated with doing that from person to person and and it also burns out your agents because they're sitting there doing this mundane task over and over again when they really should just be there connecting with the human they're talking to and trying to better engage with them because they're the uh that's what they're good at and that's what they're there to do anyway um so it's kind of, I think that's it to me is a is a, a huge, a huge green space in the contact center world. And it's again kind of speaking to that initial point of kind of the strategy or like how you can think of an AI strategy as it relates to your core business. Um, being able to uh, look at all those different workflows from like data entry to uh, to kind of knowledge base management to um, to kind of um, managing uh, your funnel when you have peak times and how do you staff up for those things if you need to staff up or can automation play a role in relation to to helping with these peaks and troughs um, to kind of retention of 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 your agents in, in making sure that they're staying on because they are uh, they're able to just focus on the work that's to hand and they're able to find the knowledge that they need more quickly and they're able to then spend the rest of the time not kind of thinking about how am I searching for this information and finding what I need to find and think about the human they're speaking to to like focus more on connection. Um, I think those those things to me are really exciting and I think generally the contact center is the most is the most exciting place inside of large businesses because of the way they think about it. Because people think a contact center is a cost structure. They think it's an operational problem they have to solve. And in reality, it's not at all. 
It's the, it's the heart of the business. And it's the place where they have the most information about their company generally, that where it's the most true and most first party as well. So it's a, uh, I think the dynamic that, that, that's really exciting is that the contact center managers and the people that are working on the operations side or whatever, whatever side it sits on in this marketing operations, whatever it is, finance, still the, these teams are hopefully going to be more empowered by, by using the technology to help them prove that they are the kind of this really important insight for the business and that, that it shouldn't be thought of as a thing that is kind of the last the last thing they think about after product and and, and and the rest of the business. And it becomes closer to the front because it's, it is so important to understand what's happening with the, the lifeblood of the company. Awesome. It's, it's yeah. so cool because if you think like, <laughs> you know, how often you, know, you look at a market, how often are marketing teams having huge budgets to be spending for market research to be like, we need to understand our customers. We need to understand our consumers and we need to understand the market. And they're ignoring the fact that the contact center is this source of all that very data that they have and they're sitting on it. It's all in these recorded files in their you know, contact center and they're just not even looking there. And that you know, through, through, through NLP and AI that we can extract those insights for them. Yeah, and Rob, what, what kind of excites you the most about AI and the contact center? Yeah, I would say lead generation, marketing automation, uh, sales development uh, has excited me the most. And I think it's just because, you know, growing up in, in, in an entry-level position, uh, you know, being in sales development, it's just, it's unbelievable how rigorous and emotionally taxing it is on a, a person. Um, you can't do that forever. You just can't. And so if you're able to have a you know, train a bot to do it. <laughs> they, they never have a bad call. They never have a bad day. They don't get emotional. <laughs> oh, they can. They can. <laughs> okay, <man. laughs> let's not get into emotion yet. Let's not let's, let's be an entire podcast on emotion in AI. Yeah. Which is an awesome, an awesome space, but yeah. So what, so Vince, what KPIs or maybe business outcomes can be positively impacted by a really good implemented AI strategy, maybe like the top two. Uh, that's a good point. I, I really love what Rob was just saying about kind of about how it can enable a sales team. Because I think like the essence of it enabling a sales team or enabling a customer service team is kind of really the same thing when it comes to AI. And it's kind of, there's a, there, there are things that the AI can do really well. And so hopefully this couples with your question about KPIs, Jessica, mm -hmm. the, um, the, the a, so like, you know, with Toyota is a great example where you have kind of people that are selling cars they're sitting in a dealership and they, uh, they need leads coming in and the person, people have certain questions about a car before they buy it. And in order for them to be able to, uh, to be converting, um, based on say a media spend, so media spend, get them into the sales funnel. They're, they're now engaging with us in sales funnel. They're speaking to a salesperson. If they go in and they're having that first conversation with the salesperson, they already know a lot about the car and what they're buying and their questions about it and what they like about the car and what color they want and how much yeah. they're willing to spend and how price conscious they are and what car they had previously. All these things that are important to understanding who that person is and how to convert them through a sales funnel. That stuff can be done really well through an AI, and we've we've built AIs for that problem and converted like twenty six x better on the media spend. Oh, I would love that myself because one thing I hate is going to car dealerships and spending two hours there. 
Exactly. So anytime I could automate those two hours of my time, I'm in. <laughs> right. Totally. You want to, you, it's a big purchase. You want to research yeah. and do your work, but you also don't want to spend two hours in a dealership getting attacked by salespeople. And it's like the, that, that kind of lead up time, as you think about it in relation to a KPI is really interesting. So you're spending all this money on media to get someone in the door for the salesperson to pick it up and you can do a conversion there. We spend X amount of money on media, $1. What does it convert when we have the same media spend? Same salespeople and an AI in there. What's that conversion rate look like? And you do an apples to apples comparison and it's drastic. It's just extraordinary because the AI is able to help the customer feel better informed. It's able to understand what the customer actually wants so that the salesperson is informed when they're engaging with that customer. And it's, and it's entering it into a CRM tool in a structured way so that it's always the same every time. So salesperson shows up, they've got a sheet, the sheet says exactly what's important and then they can go into the sale and, and, and get into the, the nitty gritty with the, 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 the person who's potentially purchasing. Um, and that's, that's on, the, on, on the sales side. Same thing on the contact center side where you have cost structure associated with uh, managing things with humans and time it takes to spend with the humans and the queue uh, in relation to how the wait time for customers, all of those metrics can be can be enabled through AI. So you can say we want to reduce the amount of time it takes our agents to to move through this funnel with the customer once they get involved. And it can just be like we're going to try to shorten it by three minutes. So we go from eight to five, and then we drastically increase our coverage time for the agents and how much they're able to do in a day and reduce costs. But you know, thinking about it that way in relation to time spent, because we know the human has to be there, but does the human need to be spending that much time to solve the problem? Um, oh, I, I, whenever I have to call <laughs> a customer service to get help, I know what happens. And when I'm waiting or waiting on the agent to help me because they're fumbling through tools, I am... I have empathy for the agent because it's not their fault, but inside me, I'm like, oh my gosh, come on, someone help the agent get that, get that AI in there. They can't find the information. Like they're not well equipped. And me being in the context center world, like I know, so I'm never like angry at the agent, but people get so frustrated with the agent and they think it's like the agent's fault or they're incompetent. And it's really the tools that are given to them. So I'm a big proponent of empowering that agent. Exactly. And, you know, uh, Jessica's told me uh, time and time again, the first time I heard it, I didn't really believe her. But it's research behind said that 75% of new sales, you know, come from, you know, your, your support team and really working with, like you said, it's kind of an indirect sales. So sales with existing clients. Okay. So so uh, I think what, as soon as your company reaches a certain size, I think this is completely feasible. In fact, I know it's possible. I was thinking about it and there's a BPO right at my yard here that, that uh, reported to me completely 100% inbound. Uh, and they have an entire floor dedicated to Visa and they process two and a half billion dollars inbound existing clients, <laughs> okay? Back in 2014, I think it was. Unbelievable. And so I was just thinking about that and they didn't even have AI really back then that they were employing. What could they do with AI? You know, it made me think. But I guess, uh, so, so Owen, I guess how, what departments within a, uh, any business, I guess, um, have you seen AI be the most, have the most influence in 
and I can, we, we've already touched on it a little bit, but how, how long do you think contact centers have been successful using AI uh, as well? So how long, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think some of the best have been really successful with AI for you know five years, maybe even a bit more. Others are just tipping the toe in the water um, now and, and others are, are still just trying to wrap their heads around it. There's also plenty of other folks who have tried AI and have been unsuccessful. Um, so, uh, you know, we're still in, in relatively early stages, but there are some standouts that I would say have, have been up there for five years. Other departments, you know, I read an amazing case study. Uh, it was really cool, but, uh, you know, um, a marketing department, uh, it was Dixon's Car Phone, so a, a retailer in the UK, they do, they're like a Best Buy um, or a, or a um, you know, a, like a Target, like, like an electronics retailer, but they used AI just to refine all of their uh, marketing copy. And so they had humans at the end of the day writing, you know, the, 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 the different product descriptions and the promotional copy, but they used AI to optimize for it. Um, and it was through that AI that they were able to just iterate and iterate so much faster on that. And it, it delivered overwhelmingly positive results. Um, and that's just a great example of where like you still have humans at the center, you still have humans coming up with these creative ideas, but it's just where you used to be able to experiment with only so many that your brain could handle and that people could sort of manage the analytics on the AI supercharges that, and that was really effective. So marketing, I think is, is sort of the next beyond the contact center where the use case is really clear, where that becomes incredibly exciting. Um, and then from there, it's, it's product development because it's all of that feedback from your consumers of how are these how are people feeling about these products? Thinking really carefully, like what are any issues? Are there unforeseen issues coming up? Like those are going to hit the contact center really oh, yeah. quickly. Um, so those are the other departments I think where you want to think about that as well. I what think... about so and this one's for you, Vince? Uh, how do you think is how do you think AI solutions have evolved? And is there ever going to be kind of this, you know, absolute you know just this this uh, takeover guess... like Terminator? I'm just kidding. <laughs> this peak, you know, where it just kind of levels off and we can't progress anymore. Yeah. It's, it's a good question. I think that we're kind of at that stage right now when we're really focused on a given business. So kind of we can get to the stage where we kind of refine it as much as we possibly can. And we've been doing this for, you know, the good example is like 20, 2016, we were building for Aeromexico, Spanish automation of customer service for the airline obviously airlines are so noisy and changing live environment all the time like real real really hard problem and we we got them to 96 percent automation through facebook messenger 2016 going into 2017 which was which was just had never been done before like that level of automation through one channel so when we when we uh, when we did it, we they Facebook heard about it and they freaked out. They announced it at F eight that year because it's just such a high um, automation score through their channel, obviously. Um, and the um, that was that was you know that was you know five years ago or something. So they we've been we've been at this level for a long time, but we've been in space for longer before that as well. So like we're you know we've we have the experience going into it, but you kind of get to a really high level in a given channel, and then you'll you'll you won't basically be able to get much further. So you get to like ninety six percent automation, high nineties, maybe like mid nineties, and then you, um, you you basically there's human error that comes involved with the customer being really confused, not being able to explain what they want, so you can't automate them, or 
there's a, you know, a change in, in the way that people communicate about a certain idea that changes it. So there, there's always going to be kind of four or 5%, sometimes less, maybe like 2% where you won't be able to, won't be able to fully get there from an AI perspective. But when you're hyper-focused on a channel, you can get as good as you're going to get for that problem. Um, and then the next thing is like, so now we can automate it that well, and we can save that cost associated with that channel. What, what now? So now we can learn from it, right? So we can say, okay, well, how does that apply to SMS? Or how does that apply to email? Or how does that apply to our IVR? So how can we take those things to go, with IVR, we're never going to get to 96% automation with an automated voice. People, they, they're just there to speak to a human. They've already waited in the queue. They're angry. They just want to talk to a human. So, but you can, you can take that learning, reduce the amount of time the agent's spending on the phone, or automate, you know, 30, 40% of the calls that are coming in because you're dropping them into SMS from IVR. So, in the, you know, you're constantly kind of crafting away, but you're going kind of channel to channel to channel. So it's kind of, if you're like, hopefully to answer your question, kind of like when it comes to the general overall contact center, AI kind of crushing it across every channel, across the business, across any language, any country, um, the, uh, those things are, are going to be, um, I think are there now, like for certain companies, we're able to get there and within, within a few years, have a, a really, um, sophisticated AI engaging for the company across all their channels, across their different lines of businesses, and then going from customer <laughs> service to marketing, et cetera, and kind of building through sales, et cetera. But the, um, the, it's a, it's a, um, it takes that level of focus to be able to, to get there. And then it's, um, it's about kind of really focusing on the channel. It's like SEO, you know, search engine optimization. Someone types in the question they have, ideally they get it in Google before they even come into the contact center, right? And that's a huge problem because you need to not only understand the way that the data that Google gives you from search, but also it takes forever for them to update. So you make the change on your website, it's two, three weeks before it hits the SEO update for search. And then, then maybe you can see that you're, you've made it a little bit better, but that kind of like, you know, constant crafting, um, is, uh, is, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a moving, it's like a moving organism. I have a quick follow-up question to that, uh, if you don't mind. So, so this is a best practice question. Have you seen, have you seen it more, uh, more efficacy in implementing a Facebook messenger um, on, you know, link on, on a website or chat? Um, because you gave the Facebook messenger example and automating that, which has yeah. been more effective, would you say? We, Facebook Messenger, like a widget, a Facebook widget on uh, for Messenger on a website works really well when someone is is deep in the ecosystem of using Messenger. So if someone is like, they love using Messenger, they're messaging with their friends all the time, they're messaging business through Messenger, and they're like, they see that little logo, they're like, oh, amazing, I can click that and I can be in this conversation. Those convert really well um, versus, versus standard chat. And I think I think that's due to the fact that you have branding there where the person's used to getting answers through that channel and the fact that they know what they're going to get there versus when they click the chat button and they get an email fill out form. So they're just like in, in filling out their email address and there's no one to speak to there anyway, which they're used to getting from, from the multiple websites to take that approach, which is this kind of a, which is basically like an in, in email template that, they, that they're used to seeing and is really annoying when you're there and you're trying to solve the problem in the live environment. So Facebook Messenger says, this is live. Like this is something I'm probably gonna be able to do right away. Um, it's also really beneficial from a tracking perspective because you have a conversation open with them. 
if they jump into that channel. So you are, you can reach out if you don't solve the problem for them and you can have a human reach out to them maybe later if the AI can't do it. So you have that openness in the channel in the same way that you have with SMS, which is so beautiful where you have that kind of, you're, you're in it with them. So there's, there's lots of factors for, for doing it if you can do it. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's free. Whereas with SMS, sometimes, you know, there's, there's a small cost associated with that. Um, and then also now with the ecosystem, the way they open it up with LinkedIn, sorry, with Instagram. Um, and uh, that's kind of a massive, a massive opportunity because they're, uh, they're the, uh, you're able to reach out to the customer across more channels where they're spending their time. Um, and the way that uh, the way that their kind of you know Facebook strategy around um, making sense of that whole ecosystem through one kind of backend channel is is pretty amazing when you think about the 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 number of touch points you can have with the customer uh, across a place where they're likely already on the app um, is pretty much is pretty much ubiquitous. I, I don't know how many people don't have Facebook or WhatsApp or Instagram. Um, I think it's probably quite a small. Oh, quite a small group. I stopped using Facebook 10 years ago. No, <laughs> but Indeed. I'm on the gram. <laughs> you, you, exactly. So you're in, you're in there. Yeah, Me I'm too. They, they, they've, got, they've got you pegged. You're, yeah, no WhatsApp as well? No? They got me. You okay. Know, you, you, so I have a WhatsApp? question. No. So what are some of the overhyped AI solutions that get pitched? So I'm hearing, you know, RPA, IVA, conversational AI, there's AI agent assistant, there's a AI for sales, AI lawn care, AI pool service, <laughs> minus the last two. But, but what do you think are the overhyped ones? Uh, I don't know what you think, Owen. I think the... Um... I think the... Or are there any? Maybe there's not. Like, Maybe we need AI I, I, everywhere in our life. <laughs> I'm not close enough to like the hype cycle or like that to really know like what okay. the market, what's like being pitched a lot in the market. I, I think there's some things that don't make, some things that you, that are, that are cost prohibitive and therefore are kind of tricky, such as like emotional voice analytics. So like, I wanna know the emotion of the person based on the sounds they're making with their voice and the way the pitch changes will help me understand how they're feeling as they're going through an engagement so that I can better service them. That's awesome, obviously, and it's super impressive, um, but, but, but it's costly because you have to constantly be processing the voice with very high frequency. So you are, uh, so it's, it's not cheap to do just from a server perspective alone, just from a, just from a management of the data perspective. So there's a, there's a baseline cost that's high for all the companies that are selling that, uh, even the ones that are just doing exclusively. So therefore it's a, it's a tricky thing to implement. But also so have, like how accurate, like sometimes I'm so hyped because I'm passionate and I talk passionately that they may think something's wrong. Or sometimes, you know, maybe I'm tired that day, but I'm talking lower, but I'm still, you know, fine and happy. It's just that state of mind that I am. So I'm not sure how accurate that is at all, too. Yeah, exactly. I think like emotion is a thing, is is one of the things that is that it, it's it's very doable now. It, the question is, how do you connect it into something that's meaningful? That you can say, well, I did this thing and it was really obviously helpful and we showed this great KPI result because there is no real emotion tracking yet that where it's like, we need to make sure we get more joy out of our customers. And that's gonna be our KPI, right? Which we should be, 
in, in the future. We want to lower disgust. <laughs> we want to reduce disgust. And that's where it will go. Like five years from now, hopefully that's the way people think about it because that Stay is. Stay tuned on yeah. that, by the way. What's that? Stay tuned on that, by the way. We have a vendor that does that. <laughs> We we do that too. Like we we do we like that's a, like that's a that's a thing that we can do right now. Like we're with the vaccine hesitancy, we're tracking how do people feel about the vaccine and how what is their what is their emotional state as it relates to the vaccine, which is important when it comes to like a, a healthcare system nudging a human to try to go get the vaccine or not get the vaccine based on the fact that it is uh, there's a lot of emotional. Um, uh, um, the emotional trigger is really what is driving the decision making because it's an emotional decision because exactly. it's your health and your body. So it's like, so, th and that's, so we have these amazing models of making sense of disgust and making sense of joy, et cetera. But they are, um, they are hard to convey the value of to a person working in a contact center who is thinking about sentiment, happy, happy, sad. So it's like, do you want happy joy? Do you want happy elated? Do you want do you want disgust? Do you care about anger? Do you like those are it just adds a lot of complexity right now where I think that it's too soon for a lot of businesses. And I, and this this is certainly like I'm I'm coming at it with a lot of shrapnel on my body because in 2012 I built a an AI company with friends called Dumbstruck. And it was basically um you watch a video and you're in a in a research uh in a research um, environment and it records your reaction to what you're watching and tells you your emotion as it relates to the video it looks at disgust looks at joy based on your face and how your face moves and it's like incredibly powerful and this is like 2012 2013 and we um we were taking this to market going like you guys are going to freaking love this like movie studios like you can tell the emotion of how a person is responding to a trailer and that was you know how long ago is that? That's seven years ago, eight years ago. And, and they're still going and the business is doing well. But it's like, it's like even still after all that time with all that opportunity in, in all that, like you, the, the way that you would consider how valuable that would be, um, that is uh, still not ubiquitous for, for people that are building video ads, you know? So it's like when you think about emotion for the, for the context center and, and you, like the question of froth cycle and like where we are in relation to hype versus kind of reality, that's why I think of emotion as being kind of very kind of something that can be overhyped because it's freaking awesome and it seems really logical yeah. but i've been through the wars and it's and it's hard to convert the value of of emotion yeah it's, it's something that's also whether you're doing it at a macro level or on an individual level you know when we think about the contact center a lot of this is what we need to solve for is at the individual level it's an individual customer it's an individual agent it's making sure that we're coaching that and we're we're, we're making sure that we're getting them through you know whether we're coaching the agent or 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 helping the customer get to the outcome they need um, which is very different than saying, okay, here's how we tailor messaging to get the most people in a society to get vaccinated. Um, and that those are those are sort of different applications. And so, yeah, you can, if you're doing sort of, you know, to Vince's example, um, trying to uh, evaluate people's emotions based on their facial expressions at a macro level to understand how a trailer's working. Okay, that's one thing. But for example, there was this insurance company called Lemonade that was saying that they were going to advertise that they were going to see if you were lying on an insurance claim based on your um, on your facial expressions. So before we even think about the idea of bias and how people's faces are different and how have we trained these facial recognition technologies, we're now looking at an individual, not a macro level of saying these people are generally happier. We're saying, is this person lying or not? And that, you know, directly, you know, correlates to their claim. Are you saying they're committing fraud or something like that. And that's really dangerous at this particular juncture. 
So, um, you know, what could be ready at the macro level might not be ready at the individual level. Um, the thing you're saying is, sorry, oh, sorry go ahead. Vince. no, I was just going to say, Owen, that was interesting as well in relation to that, that, um, that work that you were looking at from a, from a regulation perspective and, and how that's kind of changing because lemonade got, didn't they get in a lot of trouble for that as well? Because it was, because they actually couldn't do it in reality. They were just using it as like a marketing stunt versus reality. Yeah, they, they got in a lot of trouble and, and regulation there's, there's broad scale regulation coming um, to the European Union and, and, and the Federal Trade Commission did, did alert the public that regulation is coming to the United States as well, um, encouraging people to sort of take control of it now and reminding people that all those anti-discrimination laws still exist and they apply, if they apply to an agent in the call center, they certainly apply to any AI that you've uh, deployed as well about, you know, uh, fair access to credit and things like that. I think the other bit of it that was interesting as well is that it, they're, they're forcing you to back up the claim that you're using AI. So kind That's of if, if you say you're using AI, um, then, and then you have to prove it, which I think yeah. is really a really good regulation if that does happen so that you can't go around kind of uh, you know, saying you're doing something that you're not, which is, um, which is an, important, an important step. It's actually funny that you mentioned that. I remember there was an app for doing expenses, uh, I won't say which one, um, you know, where you, you would upload and scan your receipts. And it said, it was like, hey, this is a smart scanner. And you're like, you're I looking at a receipt from, from a business <laughs> dinner. So you're like looking, and so you, you write, you know, in your chicken scratch handwriting, a 20% tip, tally it up. Maybe you've done the math wrong, scribble a signature and then upload it with like a janky photo from your phone. And they're like, okay, this was so-and-so restaurant. And I remember somebody found on Craigslist the ad for the people to actually human, like it wasn't, it wasn't um, image processing that was doing it, it was humans, but they made it look like they called it something more. And, you know, that sort of jazz hands of like, hey, this is, this is, you know, automation when really it's, you know, it's, it's people in the backhand, you know, in the background of pulling levers and twisting knobs. Yeah, they're, they're, we're moving away from that, at least as far as AI marketing goes. So before we wrap up, I just have one final question, uh, Vince or Owen, you can jump in. So when customers are selecting an AI vendor, one, what questions should they ask or a few questions? And two, should they look, should, if they're new to AI, should they look at more off the shelf solutions or would it be more effective for them to look at more customized solutions? It's a really good question. Um, the uh, from a vendor perspective, kind of kicking the tires. I think like ask hard questions um, of them and the the business. The um, the they should be able to explain to you exactly how they train their AI to do the things that they say it's going to do, and they should be able to talk you through the logic of that in a way that you can understand it, it you, even as a non technical person um, or non non data scientist. The um, the the essence of what AI does is very much a human thing. It's, it's really kind of, it learns, in the case of the contact center anyway, it's kind of learning from human data and it is making sense of things that are, that if you, if you know the contact center and you understand what's happening in that ecosystem, you should be able to get into the weeds in relation to how the AI is doing the stuff it's doing because you can do it with people. You can do it with 400 people in a room and you can like try to distill and work through problems and try to figure out how, how your, your business is going to be, be uh, impacted that day. 
Um, you should be able to do that with an AI and machine learning team as well. And if the team can't help you and explain that to you and give you that level of insight, then then there's probably something weird there. Um, so that's what I'd say from a kicking tires perspective. And then from like a deployment perspective, as far as thinking about how um, how sophisticated the the team or the AI needs to be. Um, I think it really depends on the businesses. I think it's a kind of a similar thing where you walk back from your, your business reality. So if your business reality is you have kind of, you know, really small internal tech team um, or maybe no tech team at all, and you're trying to figure out how do you deploy, um, you should, um, you should, knowing the objectives and the KPIs you're trying to achieve, um, figure out the vendor that can best support the needs uh, based on your, your, your the human capital you have internally. So if it's kind of you don't have any tech people, some 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 AI companies like they're made just for data scientists. So that's like a data science team or the only people that can use it. Others are kind of very much more white glove the way ours are, where we kind of we uh, where we're where we're there to hold hands all the way through the funnel. But there are different kind of the different um, approaches. And again, I'm not super close to like how people are selling AI or what they're selling because I don't really care. Um, I just care what we're doing and how we do it. But um, but the uh, but the that that's that's what I would say. Owen, did you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, what, I mean, what, uh, if you could truncate that down into questions, what what would they ask? Maybe the, the top three questions, Owen, if you want to jump in. Well, you know, I almost I, I really want to take your question and flip it around, and okay. I <laughs> would say make sure you know. Make sure that the vendor that you know you're talking to is asking questions that are clearly showing that they're trying to understand your business That's and right. understand more than your business, but understand your customer journey. I mean, there's many different types of AI problems out there. So if you're a contact center for a retailer, the majority of the calls coming in are, where's my order? I wanna return this. Can I get a different size? Can I get free shipping or something like that? Versus if you're an insurance company and you've got someone you know, saying like, why did my health insurance claim get um, denied? Like that's a world of difference and that those are very different problems and make sure that the AI vendor that you're talking to is really digging in and understanding that problem and really conveying that like they understand not just from like an actual customer experience problem, but from an AI solutions problem that they're really clearly understanding that and wrapping that around. So that's what I would say is. So the question that would ask say, uh, what, how do you, how do you establish, you know, with your customer, your clients, what the customer journey or how, how do you, what's your process for that? Anything else? I mean, that's one question. Well, uh -huh. I think they answered it pretty well, Rob, and we, and we have to wrap up for today. But uh, maybe we'll do a second session with uh, Vince and Owen. Yeah, we, we definitely should. In the next month or two, that there's yeah, lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah, because so, that evaluation process is much more complicated. Yeah, uh, so we'll, yeah, well, let's Spending a few minutes on, yep. Yeah, so I wanted to thank uh, Owen and Vince for your time. And, yeah, thanks guys. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. And hope Pleasure you all learned you. something. Thank you. I certainly learned some stuff. How about you? Did I you sure learn? did too. Yeah, I, I uh, awesome time. Thank you so I, much. I really enjoyed it. This is great, guys, and thank you so much. And it's uh, love that you're 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 doing this for the space. It's really cool. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Contact Center Gurus podcast. Make sure to visit our sponsor pages, Support Logic, at www.supportlogic.io, Balto. 
at www.balto.ai. OzoneTel at www.ozonetel.com. Cloud Tech Gurus at www.cloudtechgurus.com. Don't forget to subscribe, and we will see you next time.